0: Go to thewellnessbreakthrough.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is up for a chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison.
1: Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I am Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy Omira. This week, we don't have the beautiful Karen with us. She is busy, but oh my gosh, have we got someone absolutely phenomenal to share the stage with you. So please, Cindy, introduce us to the gorgeous Kelly.
2: Yeah, look, I um as some of you know um who have been listening i um became one of the 100 women of influence and i went down to sydney um for the the gala dinner there were 700 people in the room and i was uh, next to kelly she was in the next table and what I did while I was there, because I never had the time before, was I started to read about everybody in the 100 Women of Influence and what they did. And what I noted was that many were in the medical field, in the science field, in the technology field. But when I saw Kelly's profile and that she was in the food field, of course, I felt an affinity to her. So I'm I'm looking everywhere for this person, you know, what does she look like? And, and I thought, oh, my gosh, she's right next to me. So I made the move to go over and talk to her about what she was doing. And, um, Kelly, I was absolutely blown away by our very brief conversation of what you're doing. So what I ended up doing from, from Kelly was I got a website, which is Food Ladder, and we'll talk more about Food Ladder. And I said, would you mind, you know, coming on up for a chat and being part of it? Now, you think Kelly, in what she has done in her life, would be in her 50s or 60s. But Kelly is a very, hey, Kelly, how old How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? No, no, that's fine. I just turned 30. Yeah, see, when you, <laughs> when you hear what this girl has done and how she thinks that you, everybody that's listening will be like going... Well, I wasn't thinking that at 20s or 30s. So um, welcome, Kelly, to Up for a Chat. We are so excited. Yeah, we're so excited to hear all about uh, what you're doing. But before we get into that, I found interesting why you are where you are. Can you give us a a rundown of your life, um, what it was like growing up, um, what your family uh, did for you as far as um, your travels? Would you give us a rundown on that?
3: Sure. Um, yes. And firstly, thank you so much for having me. Ladies. It's great to be here. Um, and very kind introduction. Thank you again. Um, yeah. So yes, my name is Kelly McJanet and I'm the CEO of Food Ladder and we're an um, international social enterprise based out of Sydney. Not that I spend that much time here anymore, but that's uh, that's fine. When I was, um, yeah, I suppose I, I I grew up in Sydney and uh had a a lovely upbringing my um my dad was a teacher my mum was in the arts and uh when I was 14 I think we all went the the four of us my little sister included uh on this backpacking adventure around the world at the time I remember distinctly when mum said oh you know we've got this wonderful plan we're gonna we're we're gonna Pull, pull you and Katie out of school for six months and we're going to backpack all around the world. I was like, oh, couldn't think of anything worse. All I wanted to do was hang out with my friends. <laughs> but it was really, as, as my 14-year-olds do. But it was really interesting. And I, I only bring that up because I think looking back on it, it probably did have a really big impact on me and, and my worldview because all of a sudden, you know, uh, young woman, Um, was kind of thrust into this global perspective um, and and having the privileged opportunity of being able to meet and see different people from all sorts of different walks of life and different backgrounds and different socioeconomic standings and um, I suppose really appreciate how fortunate Um, I was to be a young woman born in Australia um, and given an education, Uh, that really became very clear to me Um, and it imbued me with, a, I suppose, a sense of empathy that only comes through exposure to different cultures and um, ways of life. Anyway, I wasn't at that point to know that it would have an impact on my career as such. Um, but beyond that, I, um, I went into public relations. I worked in comms for a little while, which was, which was good. And it was through that that I started working for a very interesting, innovative, high-impact uh, social movement called One Laptop Per Child. And my colleagues and I at the time kicked it off here in Australia. It was an uh, uh, education program for primary school age children that had been rolled out from MIT Media Lab in Boston throughout Africa, Paraguay, um, really, you know, third world countries. And we understood that there was a need here in Australia and among our Indigenous communities to have a solution that would engage children in remote indigenous communities in education and, and allow them the flexibility to, I suppose, practice their their. Cult, you know, cultural practices, traditional cultural practices, without it having an impact on education. And one laptop per child was a way of doing that. And it was very interesting. And um, obviously, I was young; I was only a year out of uni. Um, but we had great success. Uh, worked with a great team of people, and we rolled the program out through, yeah, some of the most well, the most remote communities in the country. And that was very interesting. It it gave me again. I mean. My family, there had been a lot of interaction with Indigenous culture just through my mother's work, but I hadn't, up until that point, had on the ground, hands on exposure, if you will, to our Indigenous people, and obviously the oldest living civilization on the face of the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a huge, huge learning curve again. I felt very honored to be in a position where I could you know, spend time with these extraordinary people and understand the real situation, in our you know, in, in Indigenous Australia. And it's something that only comes through, again, like most things, actual on-the-ground exposure. Um, and that was really life-changing as well. And I suppose out of that um, I started to view, I started to take a different view on... The role of charity as we know it—you know, with one laptop a child—we fell squarely in the, I suppose, charity sector. Um, a kind of a, a good idea and an, an ambitious project, um, but I, I was left pretty frustrated by. And we had great support as well. I, sh- I should note, but there was a there was a frustration in me that, you know, when I was speaking to the broader community everyday Australians, if you will, about the work, what would I, what I'd consistently get as feedback is, oh, good on you, you know, what a good thing you're doing, um, et cetera. Like it was this, uh, yeah, like, I, you know, I was somehow special. But, in fact, you know, I see the work that I did then and the work that we do now with Food Ladder, which I'll get to, is not not a nice to-do or not a not not a nice kind of yeah. I don't really know how to explain it. Not a nice to do thing. But something which is vital um, and just as important as any piece of work that needs to be done, um, if you will. Uh, so, and, and there are lots of lots of rigor academic rigor coming out around the the implications of um, socioeconomic development on say a GDP in. In countries 30 years down the track and I think being able to look at the social change work through the lens of what impact does this have in a holistic way on say an economy shifts the focus out of the kind of this kind of work as a nice to do and more as a vital that that needs really good market driven solutions and strong economic frameworks uh, if it's to be successful so, um, yeah, so that was, that was my time there. And then beyond that, I um, spent a lot well, of time here.
2: Before, before you move on from yes. the laptop one, yes. you would have had to have had money. So how did you go about, you know, like a laptop's not cheap. And with the amount of children that probably needed that laptop, how did you go about finding that finance for that?
3: Well, the beautiful thing about the One Laptop Per Child project is that the XO laptop was specifically designed to be low cost, uh, so it cost about $100. So we, per unit, they're a solar-powered um, system. Uh, so we, were, I work very closely, my colleagues and I, with the federal government, and, and there was funding that came through that, and it was implemented through schools, etc. cetera. Um, but, you know, this this work is... is interesting and the funding model has to be very carefully considered um if it's to be successful i think that was another real main driver for me off the back of my experience with one laptop a child was about moving into the social enterprise space which is which is how i came to to begin uh, food ladder it was about understanding that if if a social change model is going to be viable it has to be financially sustainable as well and that's how we came to start food ladder about five years ago now
2: yeah and and um when you were telling me about what you were doing um i thought this is what every community needs not just you know it's about food security but this is about every community needs this where the way agriculture is going at the moment You know, we're looking at um, non-ecological agriculture and what you're doing is bringing into food deserts and places where food security isn't um, good, you're bringing in ways that they can make their own um, food, even with little resources. So would you like to explain exactly what you're doing with Food Ladder and where it started and why you began it?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, So we... Yeah, I suppose it was after the one well, like, laptop top child period that I went to went to India, and um, that was really interesting as well. Because for all of those who have been to India, you know that the sheer scale of the place and the scale of the population um, is immense. Especially when you know we're, I'm from Sydney, and it's like a sleepy <laughs> sleepy town by comparison to some of the main cities in India. So that really I suppose again imbued in me an understanding of is the population growth that we're seeing globally um, food ladder is the only organization in the world using commercial hydroponic technology to address food security and create social enterprises so what does what does that actually mean um, we've designed a system. Which is a combination of uh, greenhouse technology, hydroponic technology, solar powered tech, solar panels, etc., that grows high quantities of commercial quantities of produce um, in just about any location. So the veggies that we buy from Woolies, uh, most of which are, are grown hydroponically, we're doing exactly that. Except we are um, we are putting systems into communities that that gives them Jobs and their own source of local produce. So again, just through my experience working with Indigenous communities, I knew the the huge um, issue of food security uh, and and what what that was doing to nutrition, diabetes, etc. Really serious health problems that we're seeing in our remote communities. Most of that comes from a lack of access to nutritious food, firstly, and secondly, um a lack of education and engagement in healthy eating. And for those who have been out to remote communities, it's it's easy to see how the issue comes about. You know, I think it's I'm very conscious of, of what I eat, but even in some of our remote communities it's very difficult to get your hands on good quality vegetables. So it, a big part of the issue is actually lack of access. Um, oh, Carrie, so can we I, can I
1: just interrupt you there a second, sweetheart. You, you mentioned about how old were you when you went to India first time? Uh, Twenty four. Okay, and I mean my kids were um, nine and seven the first time they went, and and I think the first time I went, it was quite a shock culturally, particularly from a poverty um, point of view. One of the things that shocked me the most, though, and with you being older at 24 and probably disturbed me more than anything because of my awareness around food was just the vastness of fast food takeaway kind of outlet, the the westernization thing that was occurring in some of the prominent or all of the prominent cities. I just – where did it click for you? Like I'm I'm really intrigued as to where it clicked for you to go from – you're obviously, you know, traveling, and you obviously went through third world type of countries. Mm. What What was the click for you to want to drive you to create food? Like, I'm just, I still haven't heard the yeah. Not sure.
3: It's it was it was a numbers thing, right? So, what what really shocked me was the numbers of people living in poverty, um, and I believe that there was an opportunity to engage those people largest percentage of the global population um is is in need of you know good economic support it was the it was the numbers of people that were disenfranchised living in poverty um with very little opportunity uh to escape it and connecting that with what what does this mean for the world you know i mean I, i think something that we, we suffer a lot from as a society is the mentality that if you're fortunate enough to be born in a first world country um the problem of poverty is not yours it's somebody else's you know and people talk a lot about luck i, I mean it is just luck i think from my perspective to be fortunate enough to be born in a place you know like like Sydney and place like Australia, it's it's really a matter of luck. So for those that aren't so lucky, I don't think there are enough viable models and uh, frameworks to support strong economic growth and sustainable social development. Um, so it was really like, I suppose, like any strong business idea that is crass language to use in relation to Food Ladder. But, you know, if you want to look at it from a market um, perspective we've got you know we're gonna have uh, another 30 million people to feed by by 2030 um, it, it's, it's about developing a platform or a, um, a business model that engages those people sustainably and it's in everybody's best interest because we need to be able to support the global population it's very important for economic um, development uh, and, you know, as we're seeing today, people, people need to be supported in a way which is financially sustainable. They need to have opportunities um, that, are, that are financially viable.
1: It's just remarkable for a young woman. Sorry, so sorry, Cindy. No,
2: you don't. don't. I just
1: just love hearing. I mean, obviously you had a passion for business. You got your, uh, I'm assuming, an MBA. You've you've obviously Mm. studied. You obviously had that before you went there. So your antennae, without even realising it, was already up. But then to be moved from the head into the heart and then to join the two Mm. is – is actually remarkable for a young person. It really is. I I really admire you for that. Um, And I just want to ask you, was there a poignant moment whilst you were there that you stood there and went, oh, my gosh, I've got to do something here? Or was it a transitional thing or was it gradual? Like what made you go, I have to do something?
3: Yeah, I suppose it was probably a cumulative effect um, of experiences um, that – Brought the pieces together, but I, I do remember I was I do remember being um, I was up in Rishikesh um, in Rajasthan with my mum and my sister. I've been doing a lot of yoga that probably helped at the time. Um, <laughs> and um, I remember I had a little notebook and I was furiously like um, nutting out this business model. I was saying to mum, look, 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 like look at this, like you know just. Bear with me here. Kind of look at the look at the opportunity and the, the the numbers, and surely I could get funding for something like this. We could we could make something work here. And I'm, um, I think she, I don't know what she thought. To be but to um, you know, there's been a lot of yeah. It's been a very it's been a lot of passion behind it. It's been, and my my colleague uh, Alex Sheed and I have been doggedly pursuing this. Um, for five years now, we knew we knew that there was something that really needed to be done, and um, and we, we set about doing it. And it, you know, the social enterprise thing, social enterprises model, is very new in Australia, really. And I'm starting to see a shift now. Five years ago, it was like no one even understood what you were talking about um, when you when you talked about financially sustainable. Um, social, social work, or social business—people just didn't didn't really understand the concept, and we've had to be, you know, very very single-minded about ensuring that what we deliver is best practice. Um, and that's been successful. And I'm very lucky to be able to work with with good people at Food Ladder that have ensured success around that. But yeah, I, I think it was it was a transition, but. Yeah, it was a cumulative effect. It was a cumulative effect. And really as well, as well working um, a lot of work with the government and understanding the huge job the government has to do as well in, in delivering or supporting supporting people and, and um, having the right frameworks in place, being able to work hand-in-hand hand with the government to create something which actually does work on the ground because – the huge leap from what actually works in a remote indigenous community right through to what actually works for policy and how, and how that supports policy um, is complex as well. So there's a myriad of complexities in it. It's not easy um, by any stretch and the social enterprise space needs really good people. I mean, it needs best minds in business as far as I'm concerned. Um, So, you know, I'm really happy to see social enterprise being a part of the broader discussion, um, business discussion. And, and, yes, you mentioned the MBA. I'm doing my MBA at Sydney University and at the moment part-time and um, there's a lot of discussion amongst academics um, and our cohorts around creating businesses that not only are financially sustainable but create meaningful social change and it's a really exciting place to be and it's getting more and more exciting because now people actually know what you're talking about when you mention social enterprise but um i think i think that it will become a lot more normalized um because it really has to i i think um in, in, into the future yeah
2: you know what social enterprise is Something that everybody should be thinking about, not you know it should not just be on uh, the this is all about me, me me, it should be about our community and whether that community is a an indigenous community in Australia or whether it's another community overseas or whether it's in your backyard i <laughs> I think it's so important and and I remember when I was speaking with you, you told me about a community uh, up in um, Arnhem Land, um, yes. and the city is ramaging, is it ramaging, or some,
3: R- some Raman Gidding, Raman Gidding. Raman Yeah,
2: so how many, so many, like ing, ing, ing. Yes, Gidding. I had watched a documentary the week before this. This is why I think meeting you was um, just an impact in my life. Um, I had watched on my way home from Perth, which I think was days before I met you. Um, a documentary called Another Country. And the okay. documentary is about the havoc that is caused by superimposing a new culture over an old culture. So their beautiful culture, the Aboriginal co- Aboriginal people's culture, and we um, threw onto them our new culture and the consequent clashes, you know, about many things that were happening in their lives. Mm. And the fact that what I saw in this documentary was all revolved around the grocery store, mm. which opened at a certain time. They were hungry if it wasn't open. Uh, the food was white flour, white sugar, white cereals, white salt, white everything, and yet that had nothing to do with their culture. And when you told me that one of um, the places where you are doing what you're doing with Food Ladder, um, creating um, food and food security within that area, I just, I just felt, <laughs> Wow, this is great. This, this is what these communities need. They not only need a bit of modernization as regards to creating food, but they also need to look at their their culture. And mm-hmm. in the documentary, they do chase a kangaroo and they do um, boil that kangaroo. Or, oh, sorry, Kimmy. I'm sorry if I'm upsetting you, Kimmy, yeah. but um, they actually barbecue the kangaroo, I think it is. <laughs> and so long as it's not alive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, they had clubbed it to death. Yeah. <laughs> that now they clubbed it there but uh, can you tell us what community you started in around the world Why did you choose that community and what did you do
3: yeah so we um predominantly where we work in india and the NT at the moment um <clears throat> We, we we had done a bit of work in Australia, but not as much work in the remote communities. We, we really kind of kicked off in India, uh, the slums of India, and very very high impact. And I suppose the choice around that was for for us at Food Letter, we wanted to prove the concept in arguably the most difficult part of the world to um, to you know. Yeah, do, do anything it's not it's not an easy place um and really have some really high impact so that was yeah quite a few years ago now obviously at the inception of food ladder and um we freighted the, we designed our first system freighted it into into india which was challenging implemented it um and yeah lo and behold it, it, it worked you know the production was really good and we were creating jobs and um yeah it was it was a really really big success and from there we set up manufacturing distribution out of india which we now have expanded significantly we've got systems uh supplementing the diets so of over four thousand children um with food ladders on the rooftops of their schools if again if you've been to india just about every rooftop is flat so unlike australia where we we have lots of land. In India there's very little land and we've been able to utilise the rooftops of schools to implement hydroponic greenhouses that are growing food for kids. And I just got back a week and a half ago actually from the opening of a, another another beautiful system and all the children were lined up at the front of the school when we arrived and clapped us as we arrived. And, I mean, you know, there were tears rolling down just about everyone's faces. It was a pretty amazing moment to see the kind of, Impact and scale we've been able to have in a place like India over such a short period of time has been astounding, um, and yeah, I mean those communities we pick them based on the need. There's there's two critical critical I suppose drivers that um, help us identify communities. One is the need, and the second is the level of community engagement. We don't have a failed project. We've we've no no failed projects, and that is. There's a number of reasons why that's the case. But one of them is because we know that a community's engagement Um, is critical to long-term success of the project. So ensuring that there's the right level of buy-in, that we do all our things right in terms of training and support and and provide them with the tools they need to run the social enterprise successfully ongoing because each food ladder becomes a a business in and of itself. We take care of the infrastructure funding but then from there all the produce grown through the system um, is sold into the local community to increase nutrition and finance the very small ongoing operating costs of the system and um, employment uh, for for the people to run it. So it's a really simple model that works very, very well. Um, and then in Australia, we we have worked exclusively with our partners uh, on the ground. So they're community partners that have ALPA and JobFind at the moment who have really strong... Track records in community engagement. That's very important because, from food letters' perspective, we could not presume uh, to be able to do everything really well. And community engagement is is very very important. Being able to understanding the unique and very, very specific um, cultural sensitivities in any one community, um, maybe one. They might be five kilometres apart and yet vastly different. And it's very important when you're working with communities to understand the drivers and needs of those communities. So our on-the-ground partners are very important because while I can't always, you know, I can't be everywhere at once and, you know, I might be in India, but I know that our community in Catherine is being managed really well by our community partners. Um, So, yeah, again, it was around identification of need and um, a real – um, strong want in the community to increase nutrition and have, have their own social enterprise, and we've gone from there.
2: I'm absolutely blown away by what you do, okay. and I I think that it's every community that needs this, Kelly. Sorry, you're okay. going to be very busy for the rest of your life, the rate you're going.
3: <laughs> that's the idea. I know. Oh. It's, there's a huge – that's the thing, is that, I mean, there's a huge need. Um, yeah, arguably it's, it's an endless – um endless need the social enterprise part of it is really tricky and i you know people often ask why hasn't this been done before and it's really tricky it's not easy um it's not easy but we've got a huge amount of experience in social enterprise development and i think you know that's that's of really a vital importance and we've obviously got brilliant people great hydroponics managers and more and more as we expand um Thank God for the internet and, and technology. We're, we are able to do more and more remotely um, and more and more over online training modules and so forth, which is, yeah, is, is a really big deal. And I think, you know, we wouldn't be able to do this 20 years ago for that reason. So that allows us to keep our head office operations nice and light and it allows us to invest where we should be investing uh, which is in um, systems and system rollout. Kelly,
1: can I ask you? Yeah, I think. Just, <laughs> oh, sorry, <Yeah>. Cindy, sorry. You and I to talk. I know, no, sorry. I, I, just, I was hoping, if it was all right with you, just to to step out of the model, step out of 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 the of, of what we've been talking about and just tell people who haven't been to India, give them a sense of what you saw. Give them a sense of... of What you think is needed because to me, India is just a, 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 or not just, it is a metaphor for all third world countries. It is a, Mm -hmm. it is a, it's a classic. And because of it, it is the the beautiful thing about India to me is it is the land of extremes. It is as wealthy as it is poor. It's as hilly as it Mm -hmm. is flat. It's as dull as it is colorful. And, you know, what I would love for you to explain is the essence of India and why or what you saw what you think from your eyes that they really if you could wave a magic wand what do you think that they really need apart from food ladder what else do you think that they could really contribute to a country like india
3: um yeah i don't know if you've read a book called white tiger but it speaks to the mentality of um i suppose the common common man in india man or woman and that's there's a real there's, the people have an an amazing uh, attitude. Um, there is no sentiment around, you know, poor me or there's none of that. Um, India is an, an amazing country and um, full of wonderful people and there's a huge amount of opportunity in India. And I think, you know, you see that it's reflected in, in the attitudes of, of people, White Tiger is a book that really sums that up quite nicely, I think. Um, what I see in India, I think, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it is a metaphor for um, a lot of third world countries, and it it really, yeah, it's you you see the scale of population growth um, and the extent of poverty. Um, quite unlike anywhere else. I mean, the slums, I mean, not many people um, as tourists actually get into the slums, um, but it's pretty extraordinary to think what, I, I mean, I still struggle to understand how how people survive in those conditions. Um, women have to, I mean, it's dangerous. It's really dangerous. Um, health stuff, I mean, the idea of, having to give birth um, you know it's it's a really really big issue and and out of out of that level of poverty all sorts of terrible things happen to to kids and and um, and women that we would never we would never really be able to know about because you know it's not recorded there's no one there keeping an eye on things it's it's lawless you know um, so yeah that's that's' really the far end of the spectrum um yeah yeah it's 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 really a huge challenge and It's, it's pretty um it gets into your
1: blood it gets into your core it gets into your essence of of own self and i found india an incredibly humbling um country to visit but also, at the extreme, my husband played cricket for New Zealand, and cricket is like a a religion over there, if you like. And just to give you an example of, of the value of life, like whilst it's so revered on one level, there's also an acceptance of how it is. And, and for instance, we were watching a, an international, One Day International at Pune in Nagpur, and the stadium had not quite been finished being completed at that point and we're all watching the game and I was sitting down where the wives and girlfriends were sitting and there was only a couple of us there. But Mm. all of a sudden there was this kind of commotion on the other side of the field and basically the concrete hadn't set um, and they'd overfilled the room. And anyway, the the whole part of the stadium collapsed, killing 11 people. And I'm not kidding you, within 30 minutes the game – the game carried on after <laughs> – it kind of still stuns me mm. to this day. But what I'm trying to get to here, you've you touched on the point that they don't wallow in their in their positions or it's not like they sit there wishing away their lives away. It's kind of like a get up, get on mentality. What's your thoughts around um, young women in India? Like do you see um, an opportunity for women there coming through with meeting women like you? Are you an inspiration for some of them? Are you a connection for a lot of young women coming through? Is there something bigger than food ladders there for you as an opportunity and for them?
3: Um, Yeah, I think India is still – you know, they, they, there's a lot of work, and again, there's a there's a huge divide between, say, say women who are living in poverty versus um, women who have had the benefit of an education um, in India. I it, think it's one of those countries where you really see that 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 divide um, in in pretty sharp contrast. Um, yeah, I think the universities and academic fields are very very active. There's a lot of um, yeah, a lot of active um, work done, being done by women around uh, petitioning for social change and and whatnot, and from men in in young men in, in the same um, in the same position. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it's I think India can teach everyone a lot, you know, um, around not being complacent and not taking anything for granted, you know. Uh, it's, it's always a bit of a shock for me when I come back from India to Australia um, and there's a lot of complaining that happens in Australia um, by Australians <laughs> um, some of my friends included sometimes and I can't help but think you know I don't think we've got that much to complain about I mean the, the, the fact that we have access to healthcare and you know, access to education is just such a huge, you know, not to mention sanitary water and and whatnot. I, I mean, it's just so immense. I think that it's it's important for everyone to understand how huge that is. You know, it's massive. It's a really really big thing. And yeah, yeah, I think that I think that that's why you don't have that complacency or poor me attitude in a place like India or any third. Of well, you know, in some of the third world countries that have these issues, because it's survival. It's it's you know, it comes down to the individual, and the individual's ability to get up, get on with it, and make a life for him or herself. And I think that's always it's always good to to remember that because um, you know we've we've got a huge head start in in Australia in those in that respect, and I think that that puts the on us as well to to look beyond Australia, um, to look globally at the challenges which affect the globe. Because I think until we start seeing the issues of the globe as our own, we're never ever going to see any change in in terms of you know poverty alleviation, food security, climate change. Um, we act often as humans too late, and I think. In Australia, we have the benefit of being able to uh, have a lot of academic discussion about these issues, but the reality is that they are very real for the vast majority of people and I think we'd we'd do a lot better as a country if we were able to see beyond our own borders.
2: And we need to fix within our borders as well, um, which is, you know, one of the things that you are doing. And you know, you're doing it for India and you're doing it for our Indigenous people, but I believe that every household should have what you're doing. Mm. We we need to get, I, I was looking at a picture the other day and it was a, a picture of uh, walls filled with lettuces and herbs and, and things like that for mm. homes. Yes. So I think that it's not just about us helping those groups of people because They've lost their ability to ecologically um, harvest mm-hmm. foods or ecologically grow foods, which they did. The Indians uh, were unbelievable ecological farmers, and I would love you to meet Dr. Van Binsheva, who is all about what you're doing. And I, I think um, you, you guys should catch up <laughs> when right. you're next. Yeah, she's in Punjab, and okay. she's all about getting rid of the chemicals and the ag- agriculture that's happening at the moment and bringing in this ecological agriculture. But I think that what you're doing should be come into mainstream as well, not just for mm-hmm. um, the social enterprise um, that we believe social enterprise is. I believe that we need to get our culture back and we need to start back mm-hmm. with our own social enterprise as well. So I think you've got a lot of work to do in here as well. In, in well the, we with do.
3: Boards. we <laughs> do. We yeah, do. Oh, definitely. And, I mean, honestly, for me, the you know I spent most of my career working with indigenous communities and oh that's 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 it's huge it's huge and i mean the outcomes with food Ladder in our remote indigenous communities speak themselves the 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 appetite with which this model has been adopted by indigenous people that we work with is just fantastic you know there's a little video on our website um, which i'd encourage you to check out which uh, has Yongle, Yongle guys, so Yongle Martha are the people mm. of the community of Ram speaking, yeah. you know, he's speaking in dialect because this is a traditionally owned community inside a food ladder as he's harvesting crops of, you know, uh, tomatoes, capsicums, um, lettuces, and he's talking, it's translated into English with subtitles, um, about how, Forty years ago, his ancestors were actually growing produce in in um in remote communities, which isn't something that many people know. And he -hmm. said he feels so empowered because for the first time in his life, he's got the opportunity to have a job that really means something to him, that makes him feel good. You know, it's when we all we all want that, you know, a job that he wants to do. He gets up in the morning and he really, really wants to go and work in the food ladder. And more than that, it's what his ancestors did. So in a bizarre way, Food Ladder is actually giving back to uh, some remote communities a sense of a sense of ownership, um, you know, that has been taken away. I mean, this is the first time in decades that remote communities that, that we're working with have been able to grow their own produce. It's, I mean, aside from the huge... Um, environmental impact of freighting food into these communities thousands of kilometers you know I mean forget about that for a minute just the fact that there's actual you know work inside the community that is empowering and 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 you know these guys go back to their families and both to their children about you know how what they did all day at, at work and then the kids go to the shop and there's the food that dad grew you know it's it's very simple but it's it's palpable the impact that that has on people's happiness um, and, and what that means for economic development in remote communities as well, aside from the nutrition and aside from the environmental benefits of locally produced food as well.
1: Kelly, have they lost have you- touch with um, the, the, the essence of what it is to eat well in India? Do you think, like, I'll just give you an example. When we were over there, Jacob got quite ill on eating something and mm. was violently throwing up. And I've shared this before, but the mothers, the women that were there, because the men all went out and had a cigar on the deck, there was very, there was still very much that, um, <laughs> male, female kind of, yeah, you right. know, where your place, where your place is kind of thing. Mm. Um, but the mothers, the aunties and the grandmothers all took Jacob into the room. They asked my permission and he kind of like looked at me a little bit worried. Now you got to remember he was about seven or eight and yes. he laid down on this bed and they, pulpated him they made up a tincture they rubbed it onto his pulse points they used an ayurvedic tea they and then at one point i've shared this before but i i looked down at jacob thinking the poor thing and he looked at me and gave me a wink like you know this isn't all bad you know yeah. like I, do you think there's there's any chance um hopefully not of of losing that culture and tradition around that innate knowing of what they know with the land the plants the the animals like is do you feel like yourself personally looking in with your eyes that there's the chance of losing that or do you think there's a chance of of enhancing it
3: well no our, our real thing is just providing access to produce i mean the communities that we're working with have lost that through whatever means whether it's say indigenous communities where the the kind of produce isn't available or the price is too high the quality is not great through to um, communities in India where, you know, the communities that we work with, the kids, for example, the 4,000 kids I mentioned previously, I mean they'd be lucky to eat veggies once a month and now we're able to get them eating veggies every every day. So it, it's about increasing access um, to communities who have who have who don't have access now? What those what the communities actually do with the you know what produce they grow? It's entirely up to them. Um, and in Catherine, for example, we're seeing some um, traditional crops being grown in the in the hydroponic system, um, which is fantastic because one of the challenges of these places that we we work with. And it, it you know it should be noted that there is. Uh, high correlation in poverty and those communities most affected by climate change, because often we're talking about uh, traditional farming areas, etc. That with climate change are not not able to enjoy the same kind of outputs that they did previously. So by having a controlled hydroponic system, we're able to ensure that all year round. So I think it's only it only works to enhance tradition. I think it gives people access to food that they know and love and and can and can you know grow produce all year round and what they cook with it what they make with it how they use it it's entirely up to them and we're seeing certainly in the remote communities um more and more um crops being used for for those purposes as well so that's great
1: so you don't feel like they're losing their um their culture or their understanding of the land or that you know how the Aboriginals know when to pick certain things or when certain fish are coming through. Like you don't feel like they're losing that. It's just accessibility as far as you're concerned.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, it's just an, it's just enhancing. You know, it's one doesn't preclude the other. Um, at the moment, it's just about having. You know, I mean, it's very. It's it's not. It's light touch. You know, it's. Um, it's really just about increasing access to 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 produce. Love it. Love
2: it. It is. Um, Kelly, if people go on your Instagram, they can see what you are doing, which is Food Ladder. I I just think while people are listening to us, it would be lovely for them to kind of get a concept of what you're doing because I remember when you were talking to me, it wasn't until you showed me the video that I was that's what you're doing. So if people are like going, oh, I'm not really understanding what a food ladder is, yeah. they can go on your Instagram right now, which is food ladder, and follow you and and see what you're
3: doing in
2: that ramming, Jing, Jing, Jing place. <laughs>
3: Ramijing, yeah. <laughs> okay. And also our Facebook page as well. Um, we we are very active on, on Facebook as well. And on, on the Food Ladder Facebook page. And on the Food Ladder Facebook page as well, you'll have access to those videos that I mentioned. So, um, you know, uh, which is which is really nice to see and lots of stuff from India as well.
2: And how do you get finance for this? I know we've talked about this, that it's important to have, um, you know, everything in place in this social enterprise. So with, for this, for Food Ladder, how are you, is it people give you money, does the government help you in each country? How are you getting finances for this?
3: Um, yeah, it varies. We have um, some really long-standing, wonderful um, philanthropic supporters, um, by and large individuals who just love what we do and have always been there with us. And um, the systems in the northern have been funded to date through the federal government, um, where there's a real, you know, um, desire to create economic development, obviously, and address nutrition. And um, we've had funding through the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, um, the direct aid, very covered a direct aid program in, in India. Um, but, you know, we're always looking for support, um so you can obviously donate through the the uh, website which is mm-hmm. www.foodladder.org um and we you know we're very grateful for what whatever support you know we receive because um it, it certainly all helps and the as you touched on for ladies the market or the the need is so immense um there's really there's a lot of work we need to do so you know we're very, 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 very grateful for, for the support that we get.
1: Kelly, what's so your if big somebody goal? Looks... Sorry, Cindy. Sorry, we yeah, both are thinking, goal.
3: But, Yeah,
2: what's the big picture, just, the big goal? We'll ask the big goal after I've asked this small question. Okay, okay. Um, okay. And, and the question is, is that, all right, I look at it and I go, I want one for my farm. Yes. And I just, do you also sell to people like me who um, would love someone who has already done this, it obviously comes like an Ikea pack.
3: <laughs> <laughs> not and quite. Not it's, quite. It's, 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 it's a little bit more complicated than that um, and and it's a big thing, you know, like this is community by community type thing. Um, so, I mean, to be, to be honest, we, we aren't really focused on the retail market at the moment because we are, you know, like I said before, or a very small team, and we're very focused on um, creating social impact. So, for this point, certainly at this point, we are just really focused on rolling out to communities that don't have access to produce, um, so that we can we can address that. But certainly in the you know in the long term, I don't know three three five years, it would be great to have a retail you know a mum's and dad's home solution if you will our uh, food ladder it's uh, get a surprising amount of people wanting one but mm-hmm. at this point i think we've got our work cut out for us don't just in, in creating it, the impact
2: <laughs> don't you think it'd be another form of funding is that you know um I'd, i don't know how big the operation is for building and thing, things like this but it would be you're looking for people to fund this like that you guys are funding it, and then um, the community continues it. But if you are retailing
3: it, you are
2: creating an income for Food Ladder. So, yeah,
3: I know it sounds it sounds very easy, but it's it's a huge amount of work to. You know, I mean, it's it's taken us five years to build up to the point now where we can roll out um, systems direct into communities, and yeah, I suppose we're not really at the point of diversification yet because we are flat out, you know, just, just creating strong social impact, but, and, and there are some, there are quite a few retail solutions on the market. You can, you can buy for, you know, the everyday um, farm owner or, or enthusiast. There are some great solutions such as like container gardens, etc., cetera, um, that you can get that are, um, that are available on the market that are probably more appropriate. But ours is, you know, our, our whole our whole model really is social enterprise development. So we want to be creating employment um, for disadvantaged people as well. But no, certainly if if that's your if that's what you're after, I think there are there are quite quite a few um, retail retail applications available. But at the moment, at the moment, we have to. As tempting as it is and as many as, as, as many people have asked me, I think it's really important at the moment that we just prove that we can have really long-standing impacts in nutrition and employment generation. Um, You're amazing. You really are. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. Now, Kimmy,
2: you had that um, big picture question. Well, you know, often we start off these visions
1: or these dreams with a a, a a picture in our heads of how it could look, I'm just wondering for yes. you, Kelly has it has it gone beyond your wildest dreams, or is it on track? Like, how's it shaped yeah. for you? And if you could wave a magic wand, how would it look?
3: Yeah, I think. Um, no, yeah, we're 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 on track. So we're on track. I always want things to go faster, but I think we're going pretty quickly. Um, I think. Um, yeah, if I could ma- wave a magic wand, um, it's really for us about working hand in hand with in Australia with with the government. Um, just about every remote Indigenous community needs one of these, so that's my that's my number one focus. And to do that successfully um, with the federal government, and that's that's uh, the path that we're on at the moment. So I hope to enjoy um, a long-standing relationship with the the government to make that a reality and um, that would be a dream come true in Australia. And then internationally, again, there's there's a huge need for what we we do Um, if if, if you think about it from the perspective of, say, um, disaster relief um, right through to social enterprise development in the third world and beyond. So really, again, just remaining focused on... Huge replication in India, which is what we're doing now, proving a saturation throughout India as a country. Um, I hope that that really puts us in a position where we can start again working, working alongside the likes of the UN, um, the Gates Foundation, in in a way that has huge impacts um, in in the third world as well. So that's that's my that's my dream, that if I could wave a magic wand that's what I'd create. But I think we're, we're doing brilliantly and I'm very proud of, of our successes and at this rate I don't see, I don't see how, um, you know, I, I'm sure we'll get there. I'm
2: absolutely positive you're going to get there, Kelly. You, you know, I don't know why you're not on the front page of The Australian. You've been on, have you been on Australia Story yet?
3: Not yet. <laughs> right. i
2: know one of the producers i'm sending her your way you need, oh, to be fabulous. On.
3: People
2: Thank you need to know about you kelly you know it's like i just feel that if people knew what you were doing um there would be so much more support and this is what angers me you know we we see on the front page of newspapers just stuff that it's not social enterprise. It's not helping the world. Just, it just puts everybody in a negative perspective about what's happening on the planet as opposed to the most wonderful things that are happening on the planet as what you're doing with Food Ladder. And, mm-hmm. um, I just think, um, Yeah, more people need to know about you. So hopefully with Up for a Chat, we can um, get you out there and get more people seeing what you're doing and maybe there'll be other countries that knock on your door and say we need um, this food ladder because the pictures are amazing, what you're doing. Mm. I love the Instagram. Yeah, it's good. And that that community in Arnhem Land, what you've done for them after you, I don't know if you've seen the documentary, but watch that documentary and it is about it's all around that silly food market and I shouldn't say that because how they get their food is the hardest part. You know, it comes across on a barge, it, it comes only once every, I can't remember how often it came, but it comes either fortnightly or, or something like that. So it has to, it's not even fresh, it's all. So what, what you've done for that community and I hope they um, add on to the, the documentary so we can see that there is hope. Oh, Hello. Oh there you are! there. Yeah. You are.
3: You there. Sorry,
1: no, no, <laughs> Kelly. What final? Can you tell us how people can get in touch with you? Is it donation? Are you crowdfunding? Are you selling yourself? What exactly are you doing? How
3: do people? <laughs> how do we help you? Um, look, we would be very grateful for donations, which you can make through the website, um, which is www.foodladder.org. org. That that really really helps us. It just Helps us get great people. Um, it helps us commission research. Um, really important. I mean, all the infrastructure funding we raise independently. So it's really about bolstering the you know our organisation um, so that we can we can deliver on huge scale. So that would be absolutely fantastic. And we welcome welcome um, any any contribution. And yeah, certainly. Um, Follow us on, like us on Facebook, so that you can receive up to date news and and photos as systems go in and harvests happen around the world. It's a really amazing um, platform to kind of appreciate the scale of the work um, and the individual stories of the people that we're providing employment to as well. So that really brings it home. And yeah, I hope I hope that. You know, in a, a year's time, or maybe even off the back of this little podcast, food ladder is more of a household name, and um, and we're able to work even closer with the um, the Australian government to have a really big impact here. Mm, definitely.
2: And does your fiance um, work within the
3: food ladder, or his? No, no. He he's a, he's very busy. He's an architect.
2: So does he design the food ladders?
3: <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't he doesn't um he doesn't he's um no the the food ladder systems are all designed by hydroponic experts yeah um but he's an incredible emotional support so he does have his role he he has his role don't you worry about that
2: <laughs> <laughs> i am sure he does he was absolutely it was absolutely um A delight to meet you too at that 100 Women of Influence. If nothing else comes of that 100 Women of Influence for me, it was meeting you and seeing what you're doing and having you on this podcast. Um,
3: Thank you so much. Yeah,
2: I just want to reiterate too, Kelly, you're just amazing, an amazing
1: young woman, and. You know, Cindy was talking about you before and she said, gosh, I wasn't thinking like this at these young ages. But <laughs> I have to say to you, you probably don't realise how extraordinary Cindy is. She has a massive following. She is a she is a thinker that totally goes beyond the norm. And she's certainly a trailblazer in what it means to eat real good quality food that actually comes through culture and tradition or honouring the land or appreciating that we can do it without chemicals and, and also sustainability throughout communities so Mm. you know for the two of you to meet there's no accidents i'm sure there was hundreds if not thousands of women and people in that room there was no accident you two met there are none you're
3: exactly right you're exactly right
1: it's a a um, privilege and i just want you to know i am a marriage celebrant i have i love sydney i'm just wrong no i love
2: it i love it
3: oh i'll be sending you
2: an email Married the best of them in New Zealand and Australia. Very, a lot of celebrities. So, <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: oh, can, I, can I just say on behalf of India has a very special place in my heart and it's a place that I've visited a number of times. My husband's been there well over 20 times, if not 25 times. Wow. Um, he is very much... well-known icon over there and if you ever needed um someone that could support you in in him he has lots of doors he can open over there for you so fantastic i'm gonna sell him to you over the over the phone now
3: (laughs) please do no, great, 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 great. No, that would be great. We need as many supporters as we can get. So I'll, I'd appreciate that. That would be great. Oh, there'd
1: Thank just be you. some incredibly influential um, Indian, if not politicians, <laughs> but certainly people of dignity and people that could help you, I'm sure. Danny may have a a way to support you on that. And he's such a great soul and he has such a soft spot for India as well. And as I said, I know India is just the reflection of all the other um, third world countries and even back to our own indigenous cultures here in Australia. So, can I just say congratulations? And I can see why you're in both of you too. I actually feel incredibly humbled to have you both on the line. Um, and I'm sure I speak on behalf of all our listeners that to have two of the top 100 most influential women in Australia in one call, I, I don't think any of us will really be able to pinch ourselves until <laughs> we've completed this. So to both of you, especially you, Cindy, my dearest friend, and for introducing us to the gorgeous Kelly, thank you.
2: Oh, thank you, Kimmy. I, I, yeah, I think every one of those women were um, – It was it was an interesting evening. It was – Um, a very inspirational evening and every woman that I met um, I was absolutely blown away by and um, I must say that during the evening there were two male speakers and one of the male speakers was from Westpac and I actually ended up getting his speech. Uh, He had some amazing things to say about uh, women and um, their role and what they're doing in society, okay. and he he was absolutely brilliant. The second speaker, I don't know, Kelly, if you agree with me on this one, was the head of Fairfax, and he, I believe that he did a very political speech that was uncalled for. That's why I said, it, very uncalled for. So um, that was my only disappointment in that whole evening was him. But, you know, there was one other woman there that I would love to interview, and she was a 100 and, Kelly, was she 102? Yes. Yes. I think
3: she's extraordinary,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. Kimmy, she was a ballerina. and wow. She was, and you should have seen how she was dressed. She was Aww. dressed like, I don't know, thoroughly modern Millie um, back in the mm. 20s, Aww. that type of dress. And she, she was such such poise, such dignity, and what she had contributed to the arts um, and to ballet and to the Australian Ballet um, was phenomenal. You might know about it because Kim's daughter is a, a prima ballerina.
3: Mm. Oh, wow.
1: Mm. Oh, oh fantastic.
3: fantastic. Well, yes, she's, well, I'll, I'll have to look her name up, um, yeah. but she was amazing. Well, no, it was so nice to have such a strong celebration of female achievement in, um, in Australia and, yeah, such a dynamic group of people under the same, under the same roof. Yeah. Um, it was great. It was really wonderful. And it wonderful to, the, you know, we're able to carry that on here as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
2: Get everybody, get it out there. And that's what we do with Up for a Chat, um, Kelly. So if you at any time want to come back on Up for a Chat, I'd love
3: come to. I'd mm-hmm. come, love come to.
2: Come back. Yeah, and tell us what you're doing, and where yeah, you're up to, to and what communities you're in, and what help you need. We we would absolutely love to um, have something to do with, with your social enterprise. Um, Fantastic! Yeah, in spreading okay. wonderful. Congratulations!
1: Yeah. Any far, yeah. last words from you, Kelly?
3: Um, just, um, just thank you, and you know, I'm I'm really honoured to to be able to be here having this conversation about, you know, such, such an exciting time um, in, in, in business and social enterprise development. And I think um, with this kind of energy behind us, I think we'll be able to do wonderful things.
1: Yeah, No, no, you won't be able to do more wonderful things. You're already doing amazing things. You'll just do more amazing things. So well done. Look, look. I'm sure all of our beautiful listeners agree with Cindy and I today that today has been not only mind-blowing but incredibly um inspiring inspiring is probably the greatest word and so if you've enjoyed this podcast then please make sure you go to our facebook page facebook.com forward slash up for a chat post all your comments and feedback there or any thoughts that you might be able to help us to help kelly do what she's doing so beautifully or you can go to the wellness couch.com forward slash up for a chat and post your comments and feedback there too Please don't forget if you want to come and have some of these rabbit hole amazing conversations where we may be able to set up something whilst we're hiking through the mountains in New Zealand or in Africa the year after next, and you'd like to join the three of us on our quest to solve the world's problems whilst hiking through exquisite countryside, then please also go to awakenthechangewithin.com. But apart from that, thank you, Cindy. Thank you, Kelly. I'm sure everyone will agree that we are all part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We look forward to seeing you next week, guys. Take care.
0: This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.